Hello, and welcome to Business Without Bullshit, where we take a sideways look at modern businesses talking to founders and entrepreneurs about the problems they face and how they solve them. I'm Andy Ori, and alongside me is my co-host, Pippa Sturt. Hi, Andy. Hello, Pippa. And a quick reminder, if you like what we do here, please rate and review us on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast. Remember to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at B-I-Z without B-S. Now, with that being said, our guest this week is Dominic Peasley, CEO of Spark Capital, spelled S-P-R-K, an online lender to business engaged in research and development. Before joining Spark, Dominic was responsible for all lending capital at Funding Circle, which you may have heard of, and raised a whopping $6 billion to support SMEs in the UK. Not many people can say that. And also co-founded Capital B, a fintech advisory and capital placement agency focused on developing lending businesses. Dominic has also worked for Goldman Sachs, where he was head of UK distribution for its asset management business. A sparkling CV, to say the least. We're in very good in company indeed. Dominic, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Andy and Pippa. That is extremely impressive. It really is. Uh, Six billion to support SMEs. Fantastic. Um, Well, what is keeping you busy at the moment? So Spark is keeping me busy. Okay. 100% of my time trying to build a business, hire people, get the name out there, get the brand out there, convince people that borrowing to fund their R&D costs is a good thing. It's, it's accretive to them from a cash flow basis. Yeah, so let's, let's break that down a little bit. So, so you've got R&D is a tax credit system um, but the government introduced about 20 years ago where if you spend money on developing uh, technology or um, uh, science, really advances in science or technology within your business, and almost all businesses do some R&D, you'd be shocked to be honest. And then your business is, is explain that to me. So the, the government's going to give me a tax credit in the future yeah, you know, basically to, to claim this, you do a set of accounts, you do a tax return, you tell them what you've spent on R and D, and then they give you some money back. And where do you come in? Correct, but that's the issue. It takes you around fifteen months from when you start spending the money to when you get that tax credit back. If you're lucky. If you're lucky. So Spark came up with the concept of being able to advance money against eligible R&D spend all the way through the year. So that meant that you got to the end of the first quarter, you've spent £100,000 on R&D, then your accountant tax advisor has got a view on what your potential credit will be off the back of that. And we will advance you funds at different stages during the year, which you can then either use as working capital, deploy into more R&D, increase the amount of time and Uh, I suppose, money that you can actually invest and how quickly you can invest, get to market quicker, beat your competition. Typically, they're looking at raising equity capital to fund that R&D, or they're looking at expensive venture debt with converts, warrants, etc. So us providing a non-dilutive source of capital with no fees up front that they have to pay, no interest payments through through the life of the loan, and actually being able to look at that HMRC receivables as quasi-security for that, for that loan is a new innovative way that these companies can actually borrow. And presumably they then, they can be, feel quite comfortable borrowing it because they know they're going to have the money to pay it back when they get the R&D credit in. Exactly. I mean, what's key when you're lending to businesses who are in that growth stage is that you don't want to overburden a business like that with debt. Yeah. What you want to be is a very responsible lender. So looking at those tax credits, looking at that maybe on a loan-to-value basis to make sure that there, if there is variability and what they're due to expect, that they don't end up underwater from that perspective yeah. is, is absolutely key. 
It sounds too good to be true, I know. But it is, at the end of the day, based on a grant. It, you know, the government is giving money to companies. I don't think in this country we're very familiar with grants. I think we're a bit like we're becoming more familiar. But generally speaking, we haven't relied on grants as much as a lot of European countries. No, I think, I think you're right. I think if you look at that R&D market in the UK, there's around 31 billion or so spent on it. But there are a lot of companies out there that, as you rightly say, don't realise or don't recognise what mm. they're doing actually qualifies for R&D. And actually this help is out there from the government to stimulate innovation in the UK, create jobs and, and promote inward investment. Okay, so let's wind the clock back, go right to the genesis of it all. First job. First job. I, that really depends on how far you want to we go back. We quite enjoy it, or I okay, quite enjoy so, the kind of crazy holiday So I had, yeah. Some yeah. Really, I, I had some really, really crappy jobs as a kid. So Good-o. if you <laughs> think about sitting around the family table at Christmas and you're eating your pigs in blankets, a little sausages wrapped yeah, in yeah. bacon... Mm. Did you know they're wrapped by hand in refrigerated rooms? Don't you make your own pigs and blankets? Some people go and buy them from the shop. Quite a lot of us buy them. M&S have ruled them off. Exactly. I mean, that through to... Refrigerated room sounds bad because your hands are frozen, right? You're pretty damn cold. Stacking dog food tins, not great. Sitting Mm. there... Working, yeah. Can you eat top, pigs in blankets now? Do you I, eat? I can. It took me a long time. Then. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, you them you down. Think to yourself, God, this one's done badly. Just sitting there chopping <laughs> lettuce in, in again. In, it always seemed to be bloody refrigerated rooms, right? Whether or not you you're doing picking or whether you're slicing it's stuff, it's the feet that get cold. And what was the first proper well, so job? So I suppose first proper job was um, with PwC. In, fa- in fact, I think when I when I think back, actually, my original contract was with Coopers and Lybrand, so that's sort of going to mm. age me a little bit. But I started in their banking capital markets team there and obviously coming from a little town in the Midlands, that was really my my first experience of finance in the city. Oh, uh, so exciting. Oh, I know. But I, I don't know. even know what that means. Banking. So you're in an accountancy firm doing you're, bankings and capital markets. Yeah, so you're in you're in an accountancy firm and you are looking after the audit of you know, Barclays, Goldman, JP Morgan, wow, etc. So you, you're looking at some really interesting stuff. And uh, yeah, I think that's where I ended up sort of drifting into credit. So looking at things like securitizations for Barclay Card and all these all these weird and wonderful things I'd never come across before. Well, it's great to get over the, you know, the fear of all those sort of words and that sort of finance, you know, I mean, obviously accounting, you know, I feel I understand these days and, you know, finance. <laughs> but but still, when you get into banking products and you get in that, that and you've got to audit those, I mean, yeah. mentally they require leaps of, you know, understanding and faith at, at times, you know what I mean? So, it, yeah, it would have given you a great base in lending and, you know, how these these things are set up, I guess. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. I mean, it's, uh, you know, look, looking back on it now, it's 20-odd years ago. But did, you find, <laughs> did you find any fraud? Surely that's the exciting thing. Who's this Barry bloke he keeps turning up? Oh, you know? no. You, you... <laughs> if only fraud were that easy. I was always like... blaming Barry on everything, by the way. You know, it's, it's poor Barry. But yeah. I'm never going to hire a Barry then. Never going to. Well, now <laughs> they would automate it. Now they'd plug in computers, wouldn't they? And they'd yeah. sort of let them whir away and sort of say, oh, this all looks a bit odd. Well, that's an interesting one to I mean, we debate it later, which is actually where does, what is the future of some types of jobs? You know, you look yeah. at... 
you look at AI automation, etc. What are, what jobs are our kids actually going to end up going into in 15 years' time? Professional well, services. Well, I think audit's a great example. As opposed to having 50 people probably at PwC going through ticking ledgers, you know, for days on end. And why do audits cost so much? Because that's what you have to do. Oh, and they charge a fortune by hour to do it because of all the risk and, I don't know, their ability to get the fees up. But now you would plug it in and the computer would do all the ticking and then you would just sort of have someone who would actually, you know, I think you still need the 50 people, but, you know, they would just sort of look at the information, wouldn't they? But, you know, I I liked what um, someone famously said, which is that um, the idea we're going to run out of jobs is is nonsense because you're putting a cap on human creativity, you know. You don't know what's going to be created going forward. Yeah, it's it's unlimited. There's so much shit we could sort out, you know. And what what do you think your biggest, biggest fuck-up failure is? I think my biggest mistake was actually leaving a job for money. Um, I mean, you left a job for more money. I left left a job because someone was going to pay me more. And I Mm. think that was one of the worst decisions I ever made. And I think it's something I'd never do again. But looking back, I think it taught me something which was go and do something you, you find interesting, something you're passionate about and just and run with that because just jumping around for the next paycheck is, is not a great but, you way. you know, most of the times when you change job, you try and up your salary a little bit. I mean, there's always that amusing bit in the interview when you go, what are you on? And you see them go, oh, well, I'm currently on, uh, you know, and they probably nudge it up a couple of grand. But you're meaning more like you were offered a fat stack. Yeah, exactly. You know, when you're jumping for a, what was a meaningful change when you're sort of in your late 20s, early 30s. Mm. How long were you there for at this job you didn't like? Under a year. Okay. Okay. And you you knew immediately, did you? It really depends when you look at not only that, but the cultures of of different businesses as well. Yeah. You you know, money can't compensate for a culture. Yeah. Yes. See, I I did the, the opposite, really, in that I left a job that was paying me a lot more, but I'd realized that you couldn't pay me enough to keep doing it. Yeah. Like, you just couldn't. Yeah. It feels soulless. Yeah. And if you're miserable, there's just no point in continuing to do the job. It affects all of your life. I I was just bemoaning someone who will remain nameless, although I'd really like to name him. Anyway, he gave me a a ridiculous time this morning. But, you know, I I rang my wife about it. It's what you do when you get upset. They've got far more bigger problems going on in their life. This sounds like a very unhappy person. And there's this real truth that quite often you get this in businesses too. So we get, you know, we've had it in our own business sometimes and, you know, uh, that someone just, they keep wanting more and they keep, and you keep trying to sort of, oh, compensate and say, oh, well, what can we, can we do to this and do? And then they basically, all it is, is they're just fucking unhappy, you know, maybe personally. So work is fine, but they're really unhappy in their personal life and then they're bringing it to but work. If you but the hate your, yeah, happens. if you hate your job, like it affects the whole of your life. And when I moved jobs, yeah. people kept saying to me, you look totally different. Yeah. Oh, my wife would turn around yeah. to me and go, you look grey. Yeah. And you're just thinking, I know that's not me. Yeah, I just yeah. need to do something about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Takes but balls, it's, it's a, yeah, it's yeah. A, like a big deep breath. Also, at the end of each ledge. month, you went, oh, maybe it's not so bad, you know. No, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, so much sold for a few quid. And what what do you find most uncomfortable then about you know Spark and what you do now, being that entrepreneur? I suppose uh, a lot of people in this position have imposter syndrome. So you 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 sit there every every day. You know, are they going to find me out? Um, yeah. And hopefully they don't. Um, but I think you've got uh, so many people relying on you, and that's not just it's not just 
clients, shareholders, it's staff as well. You've you've got you've got a lot I mean, of people. Employees are the hardest bit, right? Yeah, you I know. mean, as I, as I said earlier, yeah, all my employees have, have got families. You, know, you you want and you've got this underlying drive to make your business succeed because ultimately you want them to succeed as well. You want them to have the opportunities and you want their families to benefit off the back of it as well. But you've then got shareholders as well. You've got shareholders who are you know, friends, family, you know, business acquaintances that have put their hard-earned money into your company. Right? That's, that's a lot of responsibility. You're saying what a lot of people say, though, is that in the news they always say, well, companies, are, they're driven entirely for the shareholders. It's all about shareholder profit. Whereas every time I talk to a business person they mention their employees first yeah. they yeah. mention their staff yeah. first. and often not necessarily in your case because i know some of the surrounding stuff and you know the shareholders are all kind of involved and stuff but often you know you're fucking monkeys about your shareholders do you know what i mean they're, they're silent people who put some money in 50 who gives a monkeys do you know what it's i mean it's the same thing that you always you know when i'm talking to founders of businesses one of the questions why set up a company? Well, your liability is limited. And if you've paid up the capital, then your liability is basically zero. Your reputation is not limited, though. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the horror that you will feel if it all goes kaput isn't limited. You know, the fact that you won't have to sell your house is of limited value. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of it is is your reputation. It's yeah. not, not just reputation that you have in the market, your shareholders. <laughs> But your reputation with your staff as well. I, I, I think about that those relationships extremely hard, and it's 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 very important to look at that and look at that dynamic when you're hiring people as well, because people coming into a business early on, you you want diversity, but diversity of thought, diversity of opinion, people who can challenge you, but also, yeah, you know, key to me has always been hiring people that you can trust, because when you're scaling yeah. a business you need to be able to trust those people explicitly. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a curious formula really, isn't it? Employees are very important. The brand is very important. It's a bit of an annoying word, but you kind of, that's the sort of the concept. You know, you want to look after this concept and you don't want to sort of piss it off as it were. And reputation is an interesting one because some, if, you, if you've ever been in a, worked in very small countries where everyone knows each other, you don't get to make many mistakes in life, yeah? In London, you can make a lot more mistakes. That all being said, reputation is fucking everything in this town. And it's not like we, you know, if you've ever worked with anyone from Adelaide in Australia, for instance, every time I've ever worked with a client from Adelaide, they say, who are your other clients from Adelaide? And I give them a couple of names and say, I'll call you back. And they go and ring them and they come back and they're like, yeah, he says you're a bit weird, but you're all right. You know, or something. And you're just like, okay, thanks for that. You know, it's like in these little towns, it's just like, don't fuck with them because in Iceland's quite, you know, a more polite version of that. It, it's a curious thing in London, but it's like, or in a bigger city, but, you know, you have a very good reputation from everyone I met, you know, I know you before. It's the way they would talk about you. And that, that has an enormous impact on how I trust you from day one. Do you know what I mean? If they're like, oh, you should meet X and they're unenthusiastic as opposed to they're like, you've got to meet X, fantastic, you know? Yeah, and, like, and also the city also thrives on connections, you know, making those introductions, making those personal introductions as well. And, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of what we have done over the, over the past even three or six months has been through people contacts actually making introductions and making favorable intro introductions as well yeah yeah and professional services it's all about where do you get your clients from quite a lot of your clients come from your other clients telling them to use you pretty much you know? it does it's our brand gets stronger it changes a bit but pretty much that is the only yeah. real source of referral for a, for a client but also I mean you you know as, as well as anyone you know, people 
often by why you do something rather than what you're actually doing. You know, actually coming across with passion about what you're doing is, is absolutely critical. And that, if we get it, pull it back to Spark, we're a new business, we're in the market, we're offering funding. There is going to be a lot of skepticism. That will be read from how you present yourself, what your terms and conditions look like. what the Because what happens to me, you know, when lenders come along, they send them to you and I'm not expert, but you start reading them and you think, this is a fucking really tough document, you know? And, you know, and, you know, can I, I'm getting a bad feeling. Do you know what I mean? So it's sort of, but underneath it, your passion is, is you have an opportunity to what? Drive, to drive businesses. In to the drive UK. innovation in the UK. Yeah. Yeah. Look, my, the whole reason behind Spark and what I do and why I do it is because we're there to help small businesses and we're here to help them grow and help them access finance at a point in time when it is very difficult for them to access finance. Yeah. So we're trying to promote innovation. We're trying to, promote you know, uh, you know the I suppose the trend of hiring in the UK you know there's there's a lot of changes in the R&D world you know you, yeah. next April I mean you'll you'll be yeah. aware the offshoring goes away yeah and actually for a lot of these companies you know finding the cash flow to be able to hire people in the UK is 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 pretty tough yeah and actually have we got a solution here for those types of companies as well? Yes, we we probably have. The one tricky question I didn't ask, but it's an important one: is what 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 happens when it all goes wrong? Are you doing personal guarantees and things? No, uh, so we're not taking personal guarantees. Yes, uh, nice. Uh, 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 it's it's a really tricky it's a horrid one. The thing PG, to do, the PG thing, thing. especially as a founder. I, I know from personal experience. You know, you're ramping a business up. Frankly, the last thing I want to do is sign a PG. Yeah, yeah. but. Yeah, they do have a use in the market because if it helps someone access finance, yeah, I, I can sort of understand that. That's yeah. fine. And there are business models out there which provide unsecured finance with PG. Great. Um, for us, we look at what security we can take. So we t- we typically take a, um, a debenture over the business just for the terms of the loan. And we combine mm-hmm. that with the due diligence that we've done on that business um, and the fact that we are confident that the the tax advisors and accountants that we're working with have a decent view on what the financial position of that company is from the R&D perspective. And if they already have a charge, if they've already got security granted over the company? Then it's a discussion with the company. Okay. And, and, you know, the funny thing is with a PG, we maybe just put it on our business versus bullshit list, but, you know, a charge over a company, people are like, well, there's no value in the company. It's like, well, back to point one, it's like, you've got all these people giving their fucking heart and soul trying to yeah. build this thing. They're not going to walk away for nothing. Yeah, they might walk away. Shit might happen, but it ain't going to happen overnight. They're going to fight, you know? Yeah, I mean, shit happens. But if you if you are there and you're building a business, as you say, you're sinking your heart and soul into it. I mean, look at my business. and We've done, we've done the R&D claim ourselves, right? Yeah. And and you sit there and you go, well, had I borrowed against that? And let's say I'd borrowed 50 grand against that R&D claim. Am I going to let half a million quids worth of IP go pop over a 50 grand yeah, loan? Exactly. Hell no. Yeah. I'm, 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 first thing I'm going to do is talk to my shareholders and go, who can stump up 50 grand to stop yeah. us losing the IP? And now a quick word from our sponsor. Clark got its start back in 1935 And while the world has changed a bit It's more than just survived From complying with the FCA And all things financy They can also speak fluently In the language of legalese Ori Clark was born and raised right here in the UK And now for 20 years They've been helping others get set up and on their way 
Clark's doors always open and happy to provide straight talking financial and legal advice since 1935. Big shout out to Sean Veer Singh for a stellar jingle. You can find him at Sean Veer Singh Music on Instagram. And at this point, let me quickly remind you to give us a nice review, please, on Apple Podcast or follow us on Spotify so you'll never miss an episode. Now back to the chat. Yeah, look, I think the one thing I would say is that when you are when you're in that startup mode and you're growing a business, it comes down again to the people that you're hiring. And it's very different, right? You, you sit there at Goldman's or wherever and you're hiring people, you know, everyone wants to come and work for you. You're now in a position where you've got to convince people, you've got to convince people of, your, you of your mission, your vision. Deep pockets uh, to spend on it no, either. exactly. I, I've got to say, please come and join me, great things will happen. Yes. And, mm. and that takes a, you know, Roll of the dice is almost a wrong phrase, but it does take a leap of faith from people to to leave some some big firms. You know, we've I've got staff who've worked at you know whether it's Zoopla, Willis Towers, Watson, EY, PwC. These are some big firms, but actually they they one hundred percent believe in what we're doing, and I yeah. think that is the key thing that is common across every single person we hire. Yeah. Persuade that is the new thing, especially with the great resignation, is you if you if you got talent, talent need to be persuaded. Then you need to put in effort, you need to be on it. You can't just sort of like, well, it's not it's not what is it, a buyer's market? It's you know, it is a seller's market yeah. at the moment. You know? I mean yeah. talent is thin out yeah. there in certain oh, areas. I mean it's hell. it's really tough to hire. Yeah. Yeah. And there are people out there that will pay a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah, the there's, a, thing- there's a lot of VC money swashing yeah. around there, yeah. especially in the fintech lending space, right? Yeah, you can't compete with some of that. You've you've just mm-hmm. got to let you've just got to be very innovative in the way that you find people. I mean, it was weird because we were expecting this with Brexit. That was going to be the big problem finding talent, but everybody's got a talent problem. So I do wonder to myself, like, okay, without Brexit, how much better would it be? Because as far as I can understand, every single country has the same talent shortage, you know, which suggests to you. I mean, you think to yourself, well, there must be like an enormous explosion. Well, I think there is. I think there was this enormous acceleration into these other markets. And there's probably, but there must be a shitload of people then with skills that can't get jobs, you know, but unemployment's on the floor. So I can't fucking get my head around the mass. I don't think certainly professional services legal, let's say, because that's what I know about. I don't think it's about Brexit right now. It's about the fact that lawyers went crazy at the start of lockdown and most, most legal firms either made a load of people redundant or put them on furlough and then made them redundant. And so there was loads of talent swishing around, but then all of them had to staff up pretty bloody quickly once COVID was over and they snapped everybody back up again. It's just not... My old man, uh, who's a wise old bastard, explained this, that um, especially in law firms, and and no offence to lawyers and finance, but (laughs) the partners tend to take all the money off the table all the time. So partners have a right to take their profit share. So we run our business, you know, because my granddad and old man have always been like that, uh, quite prudently, and we have to leave quite a lot on the table. There's quite a lot of capital in this business. And it's for the... Because when the times are good, you can't believe they were going to be bad, but it's for the simple fact when COVID hits, it's like... We don't have a problem, you know, we're fine. We can we can tolerate this for quite a long period of time if we have to. No one's going to lose their jobs. And like your amazing self, we could hire some talent out there, you know. So, yeah. so we, yeah, could, yeah. We, could, we could go to people who were maybe but a little bit frustrated. I don't think everybody was like that. 
mean, no, like, we're yeah. unusual, which sounds odd in a way, you know, that people haven't left some money on the table. You yeah, know? I mean, I worked for a firm once, the motto was be long-term greedy. You know, it's not about, as you said, taking money off the table now. It's about how do you build that up over time? What's the hardest thing you do in your job right now and how do you deal with it? I suppose we're trying to change perception in the market and that is never an easy thing to mm-hmm. do. And it requires a lot of time in front of both advisors and their clients because... Perception about other lending yeah, products. Because if you look at the market that we're in, as I said right at the start, I think that there has been this quasi-bridging market within R&D tax credit lending. And that for me is, there, there, is a, there is a need for that out there, right? There are some companies for which that is beneficial. But from our perspective, we wanted to integrate ourselves into the cash flow of those businesses and actually provide them with the speed and certainty of finance so they could actually put that into their plans. They could look at how they were deploying their R&D spend and they could take a more holistic view of, of projects that they were doing. And actually talking to people about the why we're doing it and then the, the how we're doing it, you know, it doesn't just take time. It takes, uh, it takes a lot of work by not only the team from, from Spark, but also the advisors that we're dealing with as well, because yeah. it's, a lot of the time yeah. it's new to them. What's the one thing about this world you'd like to change in the future? Mind, mind big question. question. Big question. Yeah. Big question. Uh, Feel free I, to think. Big. I think it's it's one of those ones that's hard to answer because with with all the terrible things that are going on in the world right now that are just beyond comprehension, and I think our capacity for compassion can sometimes be overwhelmed by our own self interest. And I think one of the things, uh, yeah, I'd like to see is ultimately we should be thinking of people that are a little bit less fortunate than ourselves at the moment. But I think when I was thinking about this, it was. It was very much, you know, when I looked to the future, actually, you know, what will our kids be doing when Mm. they leave school or university or college? And what will the world of work look like for them? And what skills do we have to give them now, actually, Mm. to to prepare them for that world? Because because things will change. And I think the... What does your 13-year-old want to do? I hate to say it, I suppose she's, she's thinking of being a lawyer. <laughs> oh, bless her little cousin. Well, she'll, she'll always have a she'll, home here. Oh, you know? she, but, but it's interesting because the pressure to compete on academics now for, mm. for young children is it, so tough. It's driving a lot of anxiety yeah. with it within young children. I think that is something that really, really does need to be looked at because I, I wonder whether or not this this route that was drilled into us of going to, you know, going to school, get three A's, off to a Russell Group University, into a job in mm. the city. Look, that's always going to exist, right? But I wonder whether or not this, the skills that people are going to need going forward, actually, you know, a lot of a lot more softer skills as well, things around innovation, imagination, just happiness and confidence as well. And I think trying to instill that in our children yeah. is, is something that's key to, to make a better world. What's uh, the best piece of advice you're ever given? Oh, so there's a couple of pieces of advice I think have stuck with me through the years. And I think every year my wife has the same New Year's resolution that she tries to impart on me. Right. And, and that is be more selfish. And I, and I know what she means because it's really about making time for the things that matter and whether that's family or personal pursuits. And it's easy to get overwhelmed by the day-to-day. Mm. And it's really just about saying no to more things mm. because it's quite easy to, as you know, to accept invites, dinners, meetings, yeah. you know, podcast invites. It's hard um, to say And then no. you think, why am I doing it's hard, this? It's hard yeah. to cut out that superfluous crap that just keeps us busy on a day-to-day yeah. basis. I suppose the other two things I... Yeah, 
I've got, I haven't got my phone on me, but you see on my, on my phone, there's, I've got a photo of my old mentor from the city and it's, it's and sadly he passed away a few years ago. Um, but it's his picture with, it's a cartoon picture of him with what would Marty do? And Marty was a, a great, uh, a great city character. And basically he didn't give a fuck what anyone else thought about him. And he would take amazing risks but every risk he took was extremely calculated and thought through. And every time I think Free about thinker. every time I think about yeah, how are we going to yeah, grow the business? Should we do this? Should we do that? It's yeah, what would Marty do? <laughs> They're actually linked, those two, I would say, because the the people who are most empathetic worry too much, you get stuck and they procrastinate and they get stuck. And you know, I have a great friend, Chaz, you know, bless him, who's he's always been a great decision maker. He knows what he likes, he knows what he wants. And I respect anyone who has is got is free of thought. As you say, there's thought behind it, you know, but if you, you know, I go in and see a restaurant menu, oh, I might have that. I don't know. What are you having? You know, I'm fucking lost. He'd always be see, like, I always I'm know. But the there's burger. still things I can't I decide. I always know what I want in oh, restaurants. You? Yeah, but yeah. I have to, you have to pretend it's like a dance. You have to say, what are you getting? Oh, maybe I'll have that when I know perfectly well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I, th- I think the other thing is, that I, and it happens yeah, more often than not, I'm sure it happens to both of you, which is every now and again, you get that email which just really pisses you off. Yeah. And yeah. you think, okay. Every now and again. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm a lawyer. And, and your first instinct is to write something terrible back. Yeah, yeah. And, and the greatest piece of advice I got there was just write the email. Write the email that you really want to write. Make sure you deleted the two. So I was about to say, sender. don't leave the two. And, and, and then yes. delete the email and write the one that you should write. That um, means you've, we've all made the same mistake that we've written the email we were going to send and we've hit send by mistake, oh clicked on return. Yeah. And, oh, that feeling. Top three reads, top three pods, top three music if you're Andy. Oh, okay. Um, so I only recently really got into podcasts. Oh, you're late. Just, so I, I, I am re- I'm really late. I, I, did, I did actually spend a huge amount of time doing the, the back catalogue of Business Without Bullshit. And actually, really, it, it was on my phone. Mm. I've been listening to it and I got okay. into the car the other day and I was with my with, with my seven-year-old, my 10-year-old and, and, and oh, sort dear, of slightly, a slightly of expletive came <laughs> blasting <laughs> through the stereo system. Sorry about um, this is where but, This is where we realised we shouldn't swear on oh, time. Sure. No, no, no. But, but I had been listening to, um, there's a great one, 13 Minutes to the Moon with the kids, actually. They, oh, yeah, they really yeah. enjoy that. Yeah. But I suppose for me, I'm, I read more... Non-fiction than fiction. I only really get around to fiction when I'm on holiday, and yeah. so yeah, you can sit on the beach and, and read a book. But I did, I did read one recently, which was which was great. Which was I don't know you've seen this book, American Grit. So it's about a, a mother and her child escaping the Mexican drug cartels on the, their journey through to America. Fantastic. There's something like about give dr- you a heart drug cartels and I know. Dr- drugs and gangsters. It's just so appealing. But I, but I find there's some great apps out there now. So there's, there's one I was using recently called Uptime, um, which allows you to basically go on, select the book, and it summarises the key points from the book, and you can listen to... You can get through a book in five minutes. So you're, you're, wow. never, you're never going to you're never going to absorb the, the whole book, but you get you get the key well, so you things. You look up the book, and then they've got it. Oh, we've yeah, got and they've version. got and they've got links to like if it references something, they've got YouTube videos. Fuck, for kids at school, that's the killer. Yeah, but that's doesn't that completely destroy? It depends, the depends how good it depends how good a depends. Re- but you can click through and then order the book. Right? Yeah, so you can yeah. get so. But, yeah. I, but I think there's 
I'm the killer is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> but, but I use it for business books quite a lot, just so you can get the, the, yeah, the key yeah, points. Yeah. In it, but, but hang on, business books are famous for this. Most of them are 200 pages with a single point. Yeah, most know. of them are crap. Yeah. Um, but I think there are there are three that I came across which were which were reasonably decent. Um, so the first one was a book called The Loudest Duck by a lady called Laura Liswood. Ooh, good and, name. And, and, and Laura was, um, maybe still is, uh, she was a senior advisor to Goldman. And it was a great read for anyone who was struggling with the challenges of diversity and inclusion in the workplace. So it looked at this concept of, you know, should you be hiring two by two by two effectively? Or, or should you actually look at the personal journeys that each person needs to go on as they cr- progress through their career and actually ensure that you can tailor your tailor their development to make sure that they can actually rise to the top. Yeah, okay. That's nice. There's there's another one you've probably come across called Radical Candor by, by Kim Scott. Which, oh, I'm vaguely aware of it. I feel like that's Isn't that the, 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 how you give feedback? Yes. Yeah, I'm so not sure about, you should read that. No. no. But I don't know. It, well, I feel I, I, like I, it's it. funny because it's, it's about this thing about whether you can you care personally but challenge directly, right? Yeah. And it's, it's great, but it, I got a phone call from a friend the other day who said, oh, it's, it's great. They've implemented radical candor at work. It's great. But all, my, all, all my manager yeah. did was sit there and shout at me for 10 minutes and wouldn't take any <laughs> critical feedback. So basically, when critical feedback is basically done one way, it's just someone being a dick. But yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, there's another one which uh, is, a, is a good read, which is a book called Grit um, by Angela Duckworth. And that was given to me by... A, two ducks. Two ducks. Two, two grits two and two ducks. Yeah. Two ducks. Two, two yeah. ducks, yeah. Well, there's two grits. Where's the other grit? Yeah, there was another grit. Yeah, it was grit. A, yeah, American grit. American grit. Yeah, yeah. I, I hadn't even thought of that. God, that's that's weird. Um, so look out for gritty ducks. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, gritty ducks. And maybe that's the, the title of my next book. Yeah, but that was given to me by a, a fintech CEO that I, I respected. But it, it it explored whether this this concept of whether talent and intelligence actually matter, and uh, when when you put it alongside having grit, perseverance, and hard work, um, and on balance, much less than you think. And on balance, it's that grit and perseverance that actually helps mm-hmm. people drive a business forward yeah. rather than potentially their intelligence. Well, they, 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 if you study geniuses, the only thing geniuses, like you're talking the Einstein, the, the, the big ones, as they say, you know, however many there are, maybe 50, I don't know. And they study them. The things they have in common is tragedy early in life, like lost their mother, lost their parents. And that's to do, they believe, with the way memory is linked emotionally. So if I say a banana, you think of sort of happy, sort of banana, banana-y things. That's how your memory <laughs> really works. really not going there. I don't know what you think of when you think of a banana. Perhaps something else... Um, but then se- secondly was intense hard work. Like they all worked ridiculously hard. And again, that wasn't necessarily linked, you know, it wasn't about intelligence. It was that emotionally they were free thinking because they had gone through tragedy early in life. So they weren't afraid of different thoughts. You got sort of, you sort of disconnected from your emotions so you can think more freely is the theory. And then the second one, the per- perseverance was also to do with the way if you drive yourself hard enough you go through different mental states. And and some states are very good for creativity, some for productivity. And if you do that and you don't sleep a lot and you drive and you drive, you can but achieve the, and push, push a subject Malcolm further. Malcolm Gladwell thing, yeah. isn't it, of 10,000 hours to become a, an yeah. expert. But you can anything. do that calmly over 20 years, I guess. You know, yeah. you could you put yeah. in the time. But also, you know, you, the, thing about, the thing about geniuses is, you know, with most jobs, you need an ability to connect to people and talk to people and... Yeah relate and that's quite often with the really really bright people one thing they can't do 
Yeah. yeah. But it's sometimes about hiring people who are just yeah. can be better than you. Try and make yourself redundant. But hire yeah. people you're scared of. Yeah. You know what I mean? That that when someone said to me that Chris said that, and I was like, Yeah, that's a fucking Chris Harrod. That's a great piece of advice because you're actually you don't want to hire people you're scared of. But if you say scared oh, of in the right way, right? Yeah, not they, scared they, of you think in, fuck this person. This, this person's really good. This person could take my job eventually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so that brings us to the favorite part of the show, the business versus bullshit quick far round. D, cue the music. This is where we're gonna reel off a list of key terms and all you have to do is tell us whether you think it is business or bullshit. Are you ready? Don? I'm ready. You're ready. Here we go. All right. Diversity quotas. Bullshit. No, no one said that. Um, stand up meetings. Uh, can be business. Have you done one? Yeah. Oh, I've never done one. Yeah, we'll have to get we him. Need to, we, mainly, we need to do mainly one. in the pub. Though. Yeah, when you can't get the seats. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Office is not great. It'll be a, <laughs> it's a bit yeah. strange. It'll be a bit strange, yeah. yeah. Coffee. Business. Uh, meeting agendas. Bullshit. Yeah, mostly. Hour-long meetings. Bullshit. Definitely bullshit. bullshit. Uh, office dogs. Oh, business. Oh, I, would, I was going to bring. I was going to bring Buster in, but oh, uh, I, I couldn't get man. home to get him up. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. What type is Buster? So it's cocker spaniel. Oh, so that's like my second favourite dog. I know. My wife's getting another one uh, in a few weeks' time. So we lost one just before Christmas, oh. and now new new puppy is coming. Happy happy cocker, they call it. The Mad tail cocker. is just like Mad cocker. Yeah. Can I go on? <laughs> We finished the dog loving. <laughs> you know, just chat it through. You know, carbon credits. Bullshit. Mm, um, okay. Yeah, okay. I mean, it's uh, well, uh, swearing in meetings or perhaps podcasts. Oh, business. Business. Pub lunches. Business. I'm liking these answers. Uh, I think he may win the first prize. B corps. Business now. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, NDAs. Bullshit. 100%. 100%. I still think they're bullshit. They're bullshit. Yeah, they, they're everyone useful, has them, but they're bullshit. No one's ever enforced one. No, no. ever. <laughs> um, unlimited holidays. Bullshit. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think if they did it here, people would take the piss? I don't think people would take the piss, but actually, I think, yeah. If someone comes, come, as long as someone's getting their job done. I don't really mind how they're doing it, if that makes mm. sense. So yeah. if someone wants to take some time off, yeah, come to me for time off. I don't need to mandate that everyone can take 365 days off a year. Yeah. But do you not need to limit the amount that they take off? Because on that thing, you'd say, well, I don't have a limit on days sort of thing. But you're more saying that trying to tell them to take lots of time off. Or... Yeah. I, I think it's, it's hard when you're in that startup mode because you are trying to balance the needs of the business and the needs of the individual as well. And, and everyone's doing five jobs and Bob exactly. says he's going and, away. And if, Bob's, and like, if Bob's away, well, hang on, who's going to do Bob's job? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Bob and Barry, they do everything these days. Um, LinkedIn. Business. Formal work clothes. Bullshit. Nice. I'm wearing jeans. Excellent. That is the end of the quick fire round. Okay, so this is where we give you 30 seconds to pitch your company, podcast, book, whatever you want to pitch. Fantastic. Off you go. Um, so Spark 
provides a non-dilutive source of capital for businesses that are engaged in qualifying R&D. And we provide a Spark Advance. So we specialize in dealing with growth companies that are typically pre-revenue and or loss-making. And using a Spark Advance, companies can typically increase the amount they can spend on R&D by about 20% and receive a 10% higher payable credit from HMRC net of all the fees, meaning it's actually cash flow accretive to borrow. <laughs> So, and companies can also then use around 18% less capital for the same level of R&D, meaning less equity is, is required by companies for the, to get their product to market. We're a digital first lender. We understand that speed and certainty of finance is key to the companies that are growing. And we're here to accelerate innovation in the UK. So please visit us at www.sparkcapital.co.uk and that's sparkcapital.co.uk. Uh, great stuff. So, Dominic, if our listeners want to find out more about you online, other than spotcapital.com, was it? .co.uk. Uh, .co.uk. What's the best way for them to do that? So, they can visit us there. There's contact pages. Um, they can also look at me on LinkedIn as well, Don Peasley. Um, we're very friendly and come back to you very quickly. Brilliant. In a timely manner. So, there you have it. That was this week's episode of Business Without Bullshit. Thank you to you, Dominic, for joining us. Thank you to my co-host, Andy. Hello. Uh, well, thank goodbye. you. Sorry, goodbye. <laughs> and a big thank you to you, dear listener. In the meantime, please rate and review us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And remember to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at bizwithoutbs, where you'll find more useful content. Until next time, it's goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>